Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min family with me as always, Harry Simiou. And I'm delighted to say I've got a very, very special guest with me. I'll intro him in just a moment. What are we doing on today's show? We're going to answer your questions, the questions that you've been sending in over the last 24 hours or so. We're going to assess Arsenal's title chances. Uh, we're going to discuss the news that you Jurian Timber has been added to Arsenal's Champions League squad for the knockout stages. And we're going to hear from Arsenal Invincible Ray Parler, courtesy of NetBet. You are listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hope you're good. Hope you are well. Welcome along, guys. How's it going? I'm Harry Simiou, as always, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the brilliant Tariq Talks, um, long-time listener, long-time supporter of the show as well. Tariq, um, it's great to have you uh, alongside me today. How you been, first of all? I've been fantastic, Harry. Thank you for the invite as well. As someone who has been a long-time listener, member of the channel, to see your growth um, on the channel and outside, it's, a, it's, it's an inspiration. So I really appreciate you inviting me. But I am delighted and there's no better time to invite me after a huge victory that we had. And I'm still living in that moment right now, celebrating. Absolutely. What a result it was. Um, mind you, you've got to be careful, by the way, with celebrations, because apparently they're not allowed. Um, only certain clubs and certain managers are allowed to celebrate victories. Everybody else has to just stand calm like a robot on the sidelines. That's how it goes. That's how it feels at the moment, doesn't it? Given the fallout uh, to Mikel Arteta's celebrations. And the thing that really got under my skin most about this was A, Tariq, the hypocrisy, but B, the fact that people, of all the things they could have taken issue with, like if people said, Arteta running down the touchline was a bit much. I'd have disagreed, but I'd have gone, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from. The fact that they've taken issue with Martin Odegaard taking a snap of the club photographer, that, that's the bit that blows my mind. Like, how and why is that an issue? It should never be an issue when anyone who knows anything about the club, even if you just watch the All or Nothing documentary, you'd know how important Stuart McFarlane is to the Arsenal um, team to the fan base, everyone who's around the club. Um, so it should never be an issue. And it just, it baffles me how whenever we have a big victory like this, the attention always gets taken onto other things rather than Arsenal who have won the game in such pressurized circumstances, which felt like, I mean, what was built up to be a title um, decider for us whether we're going to be involved in the title race or not and it felt like the narratives were gonna, already going to be there if Arsenal were going to lose then then it would have all been about the football and why Arsenal can't win the title and why we're not involved but as soon as we do it's all the other nonsense about it we're talking about our captain who's taken a photograph who's just trying to make a special moment which has come out and reportedly come out that he's retiring at the end of the season so there was it was a special moment that yeah that the people just try to rein in our parade as they can always like to do yeah they do indeed don't they uh, let's say a few hellos to some of you joining us in the live chat at the moment uh, we've got afsar with us uh, we've got 
Luke, who's a Cobblers fan. Is that right? Because he says afterwards, he says, no, that's not you. Sorry, that was someone else that commented that. Ignore the path. I was about to go down there. Uh, we've got Temi with us, who says uh, West Ham next. I dread it. Uh, we've got Chris, who joins us. We've got Matt joining us from Chicago. Judging by this, we've got a few people tuned in at the moment from Chicago. Um, lots of you saying that I should come to Chicago. I would love to get over there. The only part of the States I've ever been to is Vegas. Um, I've not been to any other part of the States, so I definitely would like to see uh, more of it. And I'll tell you what, Vegas was was special, wasn't it? What wow. a place. Every, a dream for most people is to go to Vegas. And yeah, there's plenty of occasions. And maybe in two years' time, Harry, we've got the World Cup over there. So we'll have to wait and see. I'll tell you what the only problem with Vegas is, though, is that because it's so amazing and it's not real life. Like you go to Vegas. I was there for, I think, four days, five nights, something like that. It's not real life. Like it's 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 just a completely different world. And the problem you have is that when you come back home and you need to readjust to real life, it's quite difficult. Like I went from like really enjoying myself and like being out every night without having to think about like any other responsibilities that I have to coming back and like my kids waking me up in the middle of the night and stuff like that. And it's just like, whoa, like, is this, is this what life is or is that what life should be? It's a, yeah, it's difficult. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mind blower. It really, really is. Um, look, we're going to start off by uh, discussing some news that dropped really, really recently, maybe an hour or so before we've, uh, we've come on here to, uh, to record this podcast. And I want to discuss the news that Jury and Timber has been added to the Champions League squad. Now, this is one of those stories, Tariq, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. I mean, we know that he's on the way back. We know that some people have suggested he could be back in March in action. I don't know if that's too soon. Difficult to say, really, because um, we don't understand the full extent of the injury or exactly at which point he finds himself when it comes to his recovery. But it's the kind of story that even though you kind of knew it was coming, it still gives you one hell of a lift when you read it, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's hard to temper expectations with Yorian Timber after his fantastic start to life in pre-season. We saw him really hit the ground running and you can probably say that he settled into the Arsenal team quicker than even our £100 million man, who's probably been one of the candidates for player of the season in Declan Rice. Um, but yeah, it is. it does give you that sense of excitement and feeling like, OK, we, we could be seeing our best 11 at some point. Um, close towards the business end of the season. Um, but it, it, we do have to temper our expectations a little bit because even when he does return and he is back on the pitch, what kind of level is he going to be at? We have to take that into consideration after the serious injury that he did pick up. Um, we're hearing all the noises that he has returned and he's in, in partial training and that he's training like he never, never left. So that kind of sparks up the excitement again. But yeah, it, it'll be a huge plus to have him involved in the squad, even if it's just um, for some rotation reasons, as we saw Zinchenko having to depart at half time um, due to an injury again. So it is going to be important to have him for the business end of the season. And if we can involve him in some games, even if it's at the bare minimum, just to ro be able to rotate, in that left-back position or in the right-back position with Benjamin White as well too. Um, he's going to be a, a big addition to the squad. And if he gets anywhere near to the level then that he was showing previously, then 
we are we are golden because we're into the Champions League knockout stages. We've got us. It feels like at this moment in time, every game in the Premier League is going to be a must win because of Manchester City, the role that they're on now and the squad depth that they have with everybody returning for them and everyone's currently fit. Liverpool, um, a machine keep going on and yes we had to take that down and that was their first defeat since that Spurs game even with the likes of Mo Salah Diogo Jota not being there for a big part of the season Subojlai and whatnot so yeah we are going to need our players back and our key players at that you mentioned you think we're going to get to see our best 11 I'm assuming then judging by that comment that you think that Timber is a part of the best 11 so is it that you're taking Zinchenko out? Is 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 that what you would do? Yeah, that is. Um, I feel like our best 11 was the one that we played against Man City in the Community Shield. That's... So Partey, Rice in midfield, Odegaard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's our strongest 11 for the biggest of occasions because that provides us the most balance in there. Um, so if we're able to put that out on the pitch at any point, Defensively, we have um, the the capabilities with Timber. We saw up against the likes of Bernardo Silva, and, and I know it was preseason, but up against Barcelona in in Rafinha as well. Um, we've got a lot of balance, and he also brings the the ability on the ball. Maybe not as good as Zinchenko because Zinchenko that is his um, unique selling point for us and and he's one of the best in the league at that but he brings us a higher level than than what we get with a Jakob Kivior and, and I know you've spoken about Tomiyasu previously being at left back he brings us defensive stability but it's not quite the same in possession um, so yeah we'll, it'll be a big plus to have Timba and of course Partey back at some point. Yeah I mean the, the community showed 11 was uh, it was Ramsdale in goal and it was Havertz up front. <laughs> but outside of that, I, I agree with you. Like the back four was White, Saliba, Gabriel, Timber. Then the midfield was Odegaard, Partey and Rice. And it was Saka and Martinelli either side of Havertz. Listen, I think there are games, and, and this is going to be controversial because people don't seem to like him, but there are going to be games where Havertz, the way he played at the weekend, is better suited than Gabriel Jesus. That's just the reality of it. And I honestly do believe, and I've said this before, that part of the reason that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal were willing to part ways with 65 million to bring Kai Havertz in the door was because they saw him as someone that could play in that position as well. The problem's been that injuries in midfield have meant that we've had to use him there. And again, that's another reason why they thought maybe it was worth the investment because of that versatility factor. But, you know, people keep saying to me, well, he could have played Emil Smith-Rowe instead of Havertz in midfield. Emil Smith-Rowe's only just got back fit. Fabio Vieira has been out since November. So the options have been pretty limited in that position. I don't know about you, um, Tariq, and I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but Leandro Trossard as the left eight for me isn't a thing. It doesn't work. Um, I think if you're in a, a very specific game state, chasing a goal late on, desperate to have as many attacking and creative players on the pitch as you possibly can, maybe you bring him on in that role. But to start in that position, I just don't don't quite think it suits him. Um as I say, we are going to get into loads of your questions. We've got lots and lots to get through. We are going to discuss Arsenal's title chances. There's a few questions with regards to that. So I want to make sure that we spend a good amount of time on that. We are going to hear as well from Arsenal invincible Ray Parler too, which um, is always is always good fun. Ray was, uh, was out celebrating the Arsenal victory until the early hours of the morning. Um, what I wanted to do just very, very quickly, 
I managed to get hold of the clip of uh, of my coverage of the game on Sunday. Um, I, I had a message from my boss on on Sunday night, and he said, um, <laughs> "Like, brilliant, loved it." But I hadn't heard it, and I know that in the past I've like broken sound barriers and all sorts with my equipment in a, at a live match. The goal that Reese Nelson scored. Uh, being the one where it went absolutely crazy last season. So I was really, really curious to hear. And a few of you have asked me for this as well. So I'm just going to roll uh, the Trossard goal clip. Uh, maybe turn your volume down just as a warning. Kivior's header down the line will find Trossard. Flicks it around Harvey Elliott, Leandro Trossard and drives towards the Liverpool penalty area. The Belgian's still going. Shoots from the angle and scores! Leandro Trossard wraps up the point for Arsenal! What a run from the Belgian! And he squeezed it in from what looked like an impossible angle! Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1! <laughs> I, I, I can't believe my voice can go that high-pitched. And you can hear the little breaks in it as well, where it's yeah. like my throat's about to go. I'll tell you what, I couldn't barely speak the next morning. It was <laughs> it was awful. Um, but Tariq, I mean, your, your thoughts on that game and, and what that does for our title hopes, because a lot of people are saying, well, great, Arsenal are back in the race. We're still not favourites, in my opinion. I would say that we're on par with Liverpool now in terms of, um, you know, our, our likelihood, our chances. I know a lot of people would argue that Liverpool have got Mo Salah to come back, who's of a level that we just don't have in terms of individual player. I think that's fair to say. And that that's going to be the difference. They've got a manager that's been there and done it etc etc but I think we're on par with Liverpool now I just still make Man City favourites so whilst I really really enjoyed Sunday I don't want to get too carried away in terms of thinking it's it's on it is on but it's not it's still not the most likely outcome in my view how do you see it yeah totally I agree with you in that sense but that game was huge for us psychologically as you know the last time in last year, we played Manchester City in February. Um, so not too far around the same date here. I believe it was just after Valentine's Day. Um, and we saw how, we knew how the importance of that game. And we was in a better position at that point than we are now. Um, but those, we made those, that error with Tamiyasu and we wasn't able really to recover from that. I know we equalised, but we wasn't able to ever get in front in that game since then. Whereas what we saw on Sunday is the dominance, the quality that this Arsenal team is currently at and what the the tactical know-how and the quality of Mikel Arteta as a coach in that game, completely in control. And then when we did suffer a setback, we was able to bounce back from that. Went through, Liverpool had their best spell um, in the first 10 minutes of the second half and we're yeah. able to recover from that. The players will take a huge psychological boost in those moments because that's what it's about. In these big games, you are going to have periods where you're going to suffer and you're going to have to learn, but you're going to have to stay strong and then still continue to have a threat, which is what we did do. Um, and I believe it was Erdegaard when he had a shot deflected and then it went out. That's when the crowd really got themselves going again in that moment. And it was huge for us. And then to see and for us to capitalise in those big moments, that will give the players a lot of confidence. Seeing the likes of Saka, Martinelli and Trossard score, we've 
we've spoken a lot about the numbers of Bakara Saka and Gabriel Martinelli this season and how they've not been at the level as they were previously. But having moments like this will give, give themselves that belief. Even if we're going into a game where we're not necessarily in front or, or at or even playing to the level that we know that we can do. We're going to have games like that, but it's knowing that we can be there and us as fans having that confidence, okay, we can take this into the big key decisive moments because you saw that lacking a little bit um, just before the, the winter break that we had. So it's huge for us now to take that moving forward and just remain on the on the tails because the expectation for us this season is to be in a title race. They can never ever just expect, okay, we have to win a title because I think that's disrespectful to the work that, that's happened at Manchester City and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and, and the quality that they have. But to compete with them, that gives... That is what the players will want. That's what they. That's the. That's the project that we're aiming to do. So, as long as we can continue that, now we've got three games, three win, um, three wins in a row. Now let's try and continue that, build that run, and and go into those bigger fixtures because we've still got some tough away fixtures to go to, in going to Tottenham, in going to the Etihad as well, and then um, the penultimate game of the season in Old Trafford. As long as we're in there and in in there with a shout. There's always a possibility because you never know in the Premier League. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the numbers of of some of our forwards. You know, Bukayo Saka um, has come under scrutiny at points this season. Uh, you look at Gabriel Martinelli, who obviously had a bit of a rough time for a little while, but has now kind of got back on it again and, and is delivering at the moment. Um, you look at Martin Odegaard, I think. Odegaard is the one that everyone knows we want to funnel everything through. And I think he has a hard time sometimes just breaking free of, of the opposition's kind of attentions because you know that if you let him have the ball, if you, you get him in those areas, um, you know, it's uh, it, it can be it could be a problem. Um, so people are very, very keen to make sure that we don't get the ball into those guys and all the rest of it. What I will say is um, I think... In the last couple of games, I've noticed a big improvement in Bukayo Saka in the sense of he's starting to beat people again. He's starting to find that extra bit of space again that just looked like it wasn't there for a good few weeks. It was, we get the ball out to him, we get it there too slow, and then people have got time to get back behind the ball. And there was never any real, I don't want to say there was a lack of support because maybe that's unfair, but there wasn't really that ability to kind of move people around and commit people in order to create those spaces for him. I think in the last two games, since we come back from uh, the trip, the last two games especially, but since we come back from the trip, I think that Ben White has been back to his absolute brilliant best. Now, we heard, didn't we, during the the weeks where you know things weren't going quite right, that he was playing with an injury. And of course, because of the injury issues we've had. We weren't really able to do too much about that and he played through it. And we've heard stories in the past about Ben White, you know, getting his head down and, and working through uh, sort of minor injury problems. But he just looks like he's got that half a yard of pace back again. And with that comes a confidence to try things and do things. I mean, that touch he took against Liverpool in the first half where he brought the ball under control, poked it through the attacker's legs. It was so casual, so calm. And for someone who doesn't like football, that's pretty damn impressive, isn't it? But yeah, I've noticed that he's got forward a lot earlier and supported Bukayo Saka a lot more, a lot quicker. And as a result and as a consequence of that, I think 
Bukayo Saka does get that extra half a yard of space, can go a little bit more in field at times because it's not solely on him to provide the width in those attacking situations. And he's scoring goals. I mean, he's got goals in three of his last four, I think, in the Premier League. He scored at Nottingham Forest and, of course, he scored against Liverpool. So there's lots to be pleased about and it does feel like things are moving in the right direction. Um, what we're going to do now, we're going to hear from uh, Arsenal Invincible Ray Parler, uh, who joined me. Uh, big, big thanks uh, to Netbet. He joined me uh, yesterday to have a, a quick chat about the game against Liverpool and the one coming up against West Ham United, uh, the celebrations we, we went through, uh, all of it. So uh, here's my chat uh, from yesterday with Arsenal Invincible Ray Parler. Ray Parler is with me. Uh, Ray, sum up uh, yesterday's performance in, in a few words. It was incredible, wow. wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, uh, the fans played their part as well, which they've done in the last few seasons, I would say. It's really ramped it up, uh, but the players really responded. Uh, and, I, I, you know, what? Well, that's, that's, that's the sort of days you want to be at the Emirates, you know, when they're winning games like that. And it was a, it was a big game. I know that people say, oh, well, I think they've won the league already with the celebrations, but... They knew if they lost that game against Liverpool, I think they were out of the title race. So that's, that's why it was a bigger game more for Arsenal than it was probably for Liverpool. Because being at home as well, you had to put one over them. Especially after the FA Cup defeat um, against Liverpool. They wanted to... You know, they've they done it really well as well. I mean, uh, I, I was a little bit optimistic before the game. I said 2-1, maybe 3-1. But I, I didn't expect it to pan out like that, how they played. And uh, no, I think they deserved it. It was a really dominant performance, wasn't it? That was the most yeah. you know, impressive thing about it. You mentioned there about sort of people mentioning Arsenal celebrations and all the rest of it. What do you make of the celebration police? I mean, you, you've been in that position. You've worked incredibly yeah. hard throughout a career. Surely you've got to enjoy those moments. Well, of course you have. I mean, you, you get into the hype with the fans. I mean, the fans must have been buzzing seeing that game yesterday, knowing they beat Liverpool, who, you know, going very well at the moment, top of the league. Uh, and it, it, as I said before, I think it was a must-win for... Not, not must-win, don't lose the game. But if you can win, that does certainly put a statement out there. So, yeah, there's a long way to go yet. But if they had lost that game yesterday, I think that was the title race over. You know, it would have been out of Man City and Liverpool to win the title. So, I think the relief, really, as well, um, that they won the game, that you've got to celebrate. But, you know, I mean, look, there's a long way to go. I can understand people saying, oh, I think they've won a league already now. No, 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 no. We've not won the league. You've got Man City still uh, the ones to beat for me. Uh, but certainly, you've got to enjoy the moment. You've got to enjoy beating a, a really top side like Liverpool. I know they don't have Salah, but they're still a very, very good side. Especially with Jurgen Klopp as well. The scenario there with what's going to go on with him. Can they win it on a high when he leaves the club? So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think you've got to celebrate. We were celebrating. So I celebrated really, really to the early hours of the morning. So uh, I think you've got to celebrate. Absolutely. Um, one of the players uh, that was a, an outstanding performer yesterday was Jorginho. Um, I'd put out a video earlier in the week where I said that I would play Jorginho because I thought this game suited him, given that alongside Declan Rice, they seem to have quite a nice balance. Um, yeah. There were a lot of people that disagreed with that, that didn't want to see him in the starting eleven. 
He ended up getting the player of the match award um, from Arsenal yesterday. You you played in centre midfield at times during your career as well. Um, so it's a role that you know really, really well. What impressed you most about his display yesterday? Well, yeah, very simple. Done all, all the, do you know what you've got to be? You've got to be efficient as a central midfielder. You know, you've got, you've got to keep things ticking over. You know, you, you're part of everything, really. You've got to tackle. You've got to win the ball back in certain areas. You've got to pass the ball well. You've got to... Your momentum sometimes, you've got to keep that going and you've got to keep people around you on, on their toes. And he's got the experience, we know that. He's played in some big, big games with Junior. So, you know, I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised, i am being honest, when he put him in the starting lineup. But he knew probably Liverpool are, are very good midfield uh, with, a, you know, they're much better now in that midfield are for me, you know, with the, uh, the energy they've got. So he's thinking, well, we've got to do something about that. And Mikel set up. Fair plays to him. He changed it and uh, it worked out for him in the end. Um, but yeah, that midfield is such an important role. That central midfield area is where you can dictate the tempo of game sometimes and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So uh, he's brought a, a really calm head in uh, who knows he's played in big games. He's played in Champions League finals and stuff like that. So he knows he's his big game as well. Uh, and I'm really pleased that he got it right. And, and that's what managers got to do. They've got to make these big decisions. And sometimes they get it wrong. But if it does come off and get it right, then he looks looks fantastic for the manager. Absolutely. Just very quickly, on um, on the goal that Arsenal conceded, I noticed sort of scrolling through social media after the game, the opinion was split really on who was most culpable. I mean, it didn't matter in the end because Arsenal got all three points. But if you were going into the dressing room at half-time, after you conceded a goal like that, are you looking at William Saliba for not clearing? Yeah, I think I think Saliba. Look, he'll hold his hands up as well. I mean, he's been brilliant for Arsenal. He's been one of the best players this season, definitely. But he's made a mistake, and and usually when you're playing against the top sides, uh, they do punish you. Look, they got a little bit of luck along the way, uh, Liverpool, with the own goal in the end. But I mean, Saliba's got to clear that. You know, you don't wait for your goalkeeper. A little bit like uh, I was watching the game before, and yesterday Manchester United v West Ham. I don't know if you see it, Harry, but Zuma when he's when he's put the goalkeeper out, you know, when you, you when you don't know what's going to happen in a certain situation, you just got to get rid of it. I mean, it could be a, you could kick it in Rose Ed, This goes out for a corner, but that, that that was a dangerous area where he's trying to see see the ball out, and you know, they, certain players can get around you and, and get a toe on it, and that's what usually happens. So uh, I think Saliba's the one you've got to look at, but I would also say he's been brilliant this year and he doesn't make many mistakes like that. Um, and lucky enough, he got away with it yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, big, big victory for Arsenal, uh, but it could all be in vain if Arsenal don't go and get maximum points at West Ham next weekend. That's the, the nature of this title race, right? You literally have to win every game. Yeah. To keep up with absolutely, these yeah. I mean, they, they, they put themselves in a again. It's no good going away next week and losing the game. Now, I I think this was pivotal last year, the West Ham game. You know, I was at the game yet last year um, at the London Stadium, and and Arsenal were cruising two 0 up, and suddenly they conceded just before half time, and um, West Ham ended up getting back into it and getting a draw, dropping two points. So. You know, I think they've got to start like they did last year. They, they was dominant in the first 20, 25 minutes last year. And West Ham didn't know what hit them. Even the fans, I was sitting with the West Ham fans and they were saying, we're going to go in and it goes 3-0. So we're going to go back to the pub and things like that. But they got that goal when they made a bad mistake on the 18-year. I think Partey was the man who made a mistake and they got back into the game. 
And then the half time, it was totally opposite what I was expecting, where West Ham fans going, we've got a chance now, we're back in the game. So I think they've got to learn from last year, go to West Ham. I mean, they're just coming off a defeat as well to United. So they ain't going to be in great form. Uh, go there in that first 15, 20 minutes, do exactly what it did last year. And then you learn from that and see the game out and, uh, and win the game. And then suddenly, you know, it's a really good away win. Uh, and the game's coming up. I think they've got Burnley, and they should be United. They've got some good games coming up. So uh, they can get the points on the board and just hope Man City and Liverpool slip up. Absolutely. Ray, thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your time um, and your brilliant insight as well. Cheers, Harry. Take care, mate. All the best. That was the brilliant Ray Parler. Arsenal Invincible caught up with him yesterday uh, to discuss the victory over Liverpool and look ahead, of course, to that game against West Ham United, which is huge. But we'll park the West Ham chat for a little bit later on in the week. Uh, that interview uh, was brought to you by NetBet. Uh, so make sure you head over and check out their website. The link is in the description below. Uh, go over there for some of the best odds. Um, lots of blog content on there as well, which is pretty interested. Uh, so make sure you get over there and have a look. A big thanks to NetBet and of course, Arsenal Invincible Ray Parler. Right, let's get on to some of your questions then. Um, Arsenal's title chances, Tariq, we've had a few questions about this. Um, where do you kind of put Arsenal's title chances? Now, I put out a video the other day where I said they were about 30%. And I did say that that wasn't relative to the other teams, like as in how likely is it that Arsenal win the league? In my opinion, one in three chance was what I said at the time. And if we beat Liverpool, then it would go up quite significantly because I thought this game was massive, not just in terms of points, but also psychologically as well. Forget relative to other points, uh, to other teams, because when I put that video out, people were going, well, if Arsenal have got 30% chance, then that means that you got to split the rest between you. And I was like, no, I clearly explained in the video, we're not doing that. So in terms of percentage of how likely it is, in your opinion, um, that Arsenal do go on and win the Premier League title this season, where are you at at the minute? And has that changed from Sunday morning to now? Yeah, massively um, for me, because I now believe that we, we are ahead of Liverpool now too, in terms of, that we, I know we're not ahead on, on on paper in terms of the table, but I always felt that it was between us and Manchester City anyway. And if both, and it would have to take us and Liverpool, uh, us and Man City to really capitulate in terms of not really find a run of form um, and be quite inconsistent throughout the season for Liverpool to, to get there. And, and it's no disrespect to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp, but because I think that the way that Arsenal and Manchester City are set up throughout the season, I feel like that is in a more sustainable way through to to play throughout a 38-game season. Um, Liverpool have their strengths and I think they're stronger in the attack than um, in terms of plethora and numbers that they have there. But in terms of chances conceded um, and when they do face a lot of these big teams in, in, in big away games I've seen them struggle and I don't think they've got a good record actually against the big six teams in fact and they've still got to play the likes of Manchester City they've still got to play uh, Manchester United and Tottenham as well of course but yeah I would probably in, in terms of percentage is it is it is it on am I sitting on the fence to say 50-50 uh, because I do think it's between us and Manchester City. And 
I know Man City have the game in hand, but we still have to play them. You see, the, the only thing is that we have to go to them, and I just yeah. uh, maybe it's a bit of PTSD. But last season, uh, it was kind of getting away from us at that point. Anyway, when we went to the Etihad, like you, you had that feeling, didn't you, that it was, it was just slipping away, and and that was the kind of final nail in the coffin. But I remember going up there, and I remember it was it was really rubbish timing for me, right? Because my mate was getting married the next morning. And I was the best man. So I there was I couldn't stay the night. I had to get I had to get back from Manchester. And I just remember that being like one of the worst days of my life. Like I went up there with some hope because you always go with hope, right? Yeah. You get there, you watch your team get absolutely thrashed, battered, beaten in every department. Um, Rob Holding played that day and it was just a nightmare, wasn't it? I'll always remember that. And then I remember coming away that day thinking it really is men against boys. And over the course of what remained of the season, of course, I kind of come to terms with the fact we weren't going to win it and stuff. But that performance gave me something to kind of attribute our downfall to. And it made me kind of a little bit more comfortable in saying, well, it's not because, you know, of us. It's because of them. It's because of how bloody good they are. And the difference between the two sides is, is obvious. So maybe actually we were silly to even get carried away thinking that we were going to win it in the first place. But that, that feeling that I had after that game, just feeling like they are so far superior to us. And then you watch them go on and win the treble. And although at times this season, they've not looked great. You still know that they have that in their locker and in their, and so I almost look at it and think that for Arsenal to have a chance of winning the Premier League, we have to be able to go to Manchester City, get beat and that be okay. You know, we beat them at the Emirates. So it's different this time around, right? We've already taken three points off them. Liverpool, we've taken four points from Liverpool, which is pretty good. If you could take four from Man City, that would be amazing as well. But I almost look at Man City and just think they're a level above. And so we need to be in a position mathematically, in my opinion, whereby we can lose that game and it doesn't put them above us. So I'm hoping that something's going to change and, and go in our favour. They've still uh, got to go to Anfield at the end of the day and, yeah, they and they've do. not yeah. been proven to have a, a great record there when they are facing against a tough Liverpool team. Um, and another thing what I'll just say to you in Manchester City, this season, defensively, I just feel that they are more vulnerable. Even last night's game against Brentford, against a depleted Brentford side who were missing their outlets in, in Buemo, Johan Visa due to injury in AFCON. And, in, and the same with Kevin Sharder as well. I just feel like there will be more points that Manchester City can drop and I, they have been scintillating going forward of, of late. I watched the Newcastle game um, during that winter break and I was a stat, I was like, wow, how well, how good that they looked on the front foot. But even then, they still looked vulnerable defensively. And my final thing I would say with this Manchester City side is I do think they are a little bit like us in terms of being more dependent on certain individuals, which they didn't quite have last year. They still had the likes of Gundogan um, that could really take um, make take those big games. If if you Kevin De Bruyne, your Harlands aren't quite there. Maybe Phil Foden's taking that mantle now. Uh, they had Riyad Mahrez. They've lost a little bit of that experience, and we've seen with the likes of Rodri when he's not involved, and I believe he's on seven yellow cards as well. Um, and if he gets to ten. Uh, and by a, a certain stage in the season, then he can miss two games out. And then, and we know how huge that is. They missed him for three games and lost all three. So I just feel like they are a bit more 
reliant upon individuals and with those defensive mishaps, I feel I feel like they can be got at in certain games and they still will drop more. But we'll have to wait and see in terms of that one. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. Um, let's dive into some of the other questions. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take one uh, from those that have been submitted and then one from the chat and rotate it so the, the guys in the chat um, are getting involved as well. Let's start off with this one from Afsar, who says, uh, from now on, would you play Rice and Jorginho or Rice and Partey as a pivot, which, which gives us the best uh, balance? I mean, I'll come to you in a minute on this, Tariq, but for me, Thomas Partey, is brilliant and is a better all-round player than Jorginho, particularly at this stage in Jorginho's career. Um, so for me, when Rice and Partey are fit, that's what I'd go with. But to have Jorginho and and to be able to bring him in and out of the side, I think is going to be invaluable. And if I were Arsenal, I'd be working on triggering that option to extend his deal by another year from now. Because what you don't want is to get to the end of the season have to do major surgery on your midfield because maybe you've decided, and I don't know that this is going to be the case, but maybe you've decided that Partey can no longer be relied upon and then have to replace Jorginho as well. Like, I, I just think he gives you so much in terms of both on the pitch and off it, his leadership, his experience, his character's brilliant. Um, I think Rice and, and Jorginho works really, really well in games like the game we played at the weekend. But I think when you play against sides that are a little bit more defensive, are going to play a low block. Although Jorginho is a great progressor of the ball and could probably pick open a defence, we've seen him do it in the past. I just think that Partey and Rice would give you a bit more in that type of game. But also, I would argue that in those types of fixtures, you don't need Rice and Jorginho. You can do what we've done a lot of the time this season, which is put maybe Havertz in the midfield, have an extra forward on the pitch and have him pushing into that area, knowing that you're you're going to be OK because of how dominant you're going to be, etc., etc. So I actually think that, yeah, Rice and Partey would be my ideal Arsenal midfield duo. Jorginho's great and brings the best out of Rice, I think. And I thought it was really interesting that Rice played as the six rather than Jorginho playing as the six the other day and that Jorginho was playing a slightly different role. Mikel Arteta may be recognising the shortcomings in his game, in Jorginho's game, that is, and deciding, actually, I think you're better utilised here. But I just think there's games where you don't need both. You don't need a Rice and a Partey or a Rice and a Jorginho. You could get away with one. Where are you on this? I mean, Jorginho was great at the weekend. But to kind of put him ahead of Thomas Partey now feels a little bit knee-jerk to me. Absolutely, yeah. Because with what Thomas Partey... Jorginho gives you what Thomas Partey can give you, but Thomas Partey has the athleticism to him as well when he is fit and available, of course. And he does provide another physical presence, whether that be defending in both boxes also. So that's why I'd still put Partey ahead of Jorginho for now. And... I, I'm, and I wouldn't still play Jorginho in every game alongside Rice or Partey as well because Mikel Arteta said it um, after the game that in, in these types of fixtures, Liverpool don't allow you to get five in the attack. So it, that's why it's important to play Rice and Jorginho at the base. Whereas well, when we face a West Ham, we know what, we know what we're going to face there, um, similar to what we face at the Emirates. When we face um, a Brentford, when we still got to play them, we know the how they're going to set up for us. We're going to need to still have the likes of a Havertz, maybe if he's playing in midfield, or um, a, a, a Vieira. We still, we still got him to return. And, and, 
and the way that he plays, he's someone who's going to be more of a, a locker with a pass. Um, and then a Smith role, which we've seen against Nottingham Forest. And maybe Arteta is really feeling like he can trust him now to, um, to be a real option in there. So I wouldn't say we, we have to play it from now on, Afsar, but I hear your point. In those big games, when we are still going to play Newcastle, you'd say, um, and, and still got those away trips. Yeah, double pivot with Rice and Partey. And then if Partey's not available, Jorginho. Yeah, that's that's what I'd go with too. Okay, let's go over to some of the questions that you were submitting earlier on. Um, there was one that Tariq put in, which is what um, kind of jogged my mind to say, you know what, let's get Tariq on the pod today. And I'll tell you why uh, this, uh, this called me into action or pushed me into action is because it's such a hard question to answer. I thought, you know what, mate, you bloody answer it because I can't think of the answer uh, to this one. The question was, if you could choose one of these injury-prone players to remain fit for the rest of the season, which one are you choosing? Jesus, Partey, Zinchenko, or Tommy Asu? Tariq, I'll let you take this one first because you have absolutely killed me with this question. It's a great question. I love these questions, but my God, it's a difficult one to answer. Go for it. Before the weekend, I yeah. would have said Jesus. But okay. now, because of what I've seen from Havertz and what he can give you in these fixtures, and I don't think he's going to be suitable for every single fixture, I'm going to go with Partey. Um, and just because of the tactical versatility he would be able to give us. And I know a lot of people didn't like it. And I remember listening to shows earlier on in the season. But with Mikel Arteta playing Partey at right back, also and inverting from there and I was one of the people that didn't, wasn't really against it um I was more against Gabriel not playing and and starting and I, I didn't think you have, to, you have to sacrifice Gabriel for that but allowing us to have that unpredictability and Arteta has spoken about this himself is the injuries of that we've had with Thomas Partey has we've lost sort of that unpredictability um Having that double pivot for the big games, I think it will be vital for us. And I think that we'll be even be able to score and create more chances. Having Partey, um, being able to progress the ball through the lines, even, even though I love Declan Rice and he has been amazing for us. One thing that I still think he can improve on, and I believe he will, He's passing, he's, he's progressing the ball as quickly, not being as conservative as he has been um, as, and what we've seen at times. Hence why I think Jorginho played with him against Liverpool. And so we have missed that. In And you spoke about it in terms of getting fast support and leaving a bit more space for Bakara Saka. Thomas Partey, with how quick he likes to play that, does that and having him and Rice in there would give us that stability. Maybe not ask him to to cover as much ground as we did last year. So having party, but I would have said Jesus before the weekend because of his importance to our attack and getting the best out of Martinelli and getting the best out of Saka. But I think that they've done so well. Uh, well, they've not done amazing, but in recent weeks they've done well. Um, and better than we've seen and um, we've seen when Jesus has been out injured, especially when Trossard's come in, like we saw with the Champions League games against PSV, for example. He we've been we've been we've still been able to have those contribute and and really make a difference in, in some of these games. So yeah, change my mind from Jesus to Partey. I'm gonna go Partey as well. Um I had to think about this with a kind of process of elimination, right? So Jesus great in the link up 
um, but not really an out-and-out goal scorer. Doesn't score enough goals, basically. Um, so is he massively essential? I think if you're talking about Eddie and Ketia being the replacement, then I think it is essential because without a proper centre... And when I say proper centre-forward, I don't mean this disrespectfully to Eddie and Ketia. What I mean is you need a centre-forward who does more than just pop up in the six-yard box, who brings more to the table and can bring good things out of other players. And I don't think that Eddie and Ketia is really that great at that. So Jesus, I'm quite happy with the idea of Havertz playing that role. I know a lot of people won't like that, but I, I would be quite okay with that. Then I look at Zinchenko and I just think defensively, you don't give me enough. And therefore, if I have the right balance in midfield, i.e. I have Partey in the midfield or a Jorginho in the midfield, I don't need you to invert as much. And I think we saw that at the weekend. Actually, Zinchenko looked better defensively because he wasn't coming in field anywhere near as much. And that was because Jorginho was a lot of the time in the area that Zinchenko would come into. And Jorginho is someone that does have a very similar skill set. Tomiyasu, I mean, if Tomiyasu was going to be in my starting eleven, it would be at left back. But I would put him behind Timber when he's fit. And of course, um, I, I've spoken about it before. I don't think that Tomiyasu quite gives you enough in possession. So by process of elimination, for me, it's Partey as well, because it gives you flexibility with what you do with Rice. It gives you flexibility with... Um, you know, being able to give Rice a break from time to time because he's going to bloody need one at some point. The guy's not a machine. Um, and I just think that that Partey is, of those four, the most important uh, to this team and its success. So, yeah, I know that sounds a bit silly to say when you consider that he's hardly kicked the ball this season. But, you know, we're going by what we know Thomas Partey is and can be. And so, for me, yeah, Thomas Partey. That's a really, really good question, though, Tariq Gomez. Just one thing I wanted to say. Is it is it fair to say that maybe Arteta has been very cautious in rushing him back as well because of he, he knows of his importance towards the business end of the season, Harry? Yeah, he's probably looked at it and, and thought, you know, I can I can get by with just rice. And he has done up until this season. Like we're we're two points off the top and we've not had Thomas Partey all season. So he probably thinks that the priority has to be making sure that there is no setback, there is no issue, and that we have him for the business end, which is going to be really important, not just in Premier League terms, but in terms of the Champions League as well. Um, because I honestly look at the Champions League, and I know this might sound arrogant and might come back to bite me on the ass, but I really do look at the Champions League and think the only team that I massively fear is Manchester City. And then the next team that I fear is, is probably Real Madrid. And that's because of Real Madrid's history in the competition. They've got a lot of quality, but I think we can match Real Madrid. I really do. So that's why I kind of look at it and I think, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he is kind of holding off a little bit um, just to make sure that he is fit and available. Unfortunate that he suffered a bit of a setback. Um, I'm hoping that it is just a, a, a small thing that keeps him out for maybe a few more days. Um, rather than being weeks. But, you know, when you hear that kind of news about Partey, you, your head your head gets the better of you, doesn't it? And you, your mind runs wild because that's what that's what we've seen. Um, let's take one from... Oh, wow. This is a bloody tough question. From Jid. Saka, Odegaard, Havertz, Jesus and Martinelli all get injured at the same time. What would your front five look like with the players we currently have? 
Well, basically, we'd be screwed, mate. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. Um, so we'd still have Trossard. I have to make a note because yeah. this is hard. We'd still have Trossard. We'd still have Nelson. Mm-hmm. We'd still have Enketia. I guess you could use Vieira, ESR. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Oh, I, this is tough to do on a live pod. Okay, so I'm going to stick my neck out on the line here, and um, and and feel free to chip in, Tariq, and I'll get yours in a minute. Yeah, I'm going to go with Trossard as the false nine. Hundred percent. I'm going to go with. Emil Smith-Rowe from the left. Because okay. I think when he was at his most effective in an Arsenal shirt, it was playing from that left-hand side. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Nelson on the right. So Enketia doesn't even get into that front three of mine. Okay. Which maybe sounds harsh, but I guess the alternative then is to play Trossard on the right and put Enketia through the middle. But I feel like... Nelson, I've not really liked what I've seen from Trossard out on the right, and he's not really played that on many occasions, whereas Nelson's had a bit more. So would you, Nelson to the right and Trossard to the left? Uh, Yeah, you could do that. But then Emil Smith-Rowe misses out, and I think he's too good a player to not be in the front three when those guys are all unavailable. Yeah. And and I've, I don't think that ESR is a left eight. I know again, I know that's an unpopular opinion. I just don't see it. Yeah. I don't think it gives you enough defensively. So I agree. for me, he's he's got to be putting the team on the left. I don't know. It's a really tough one. Um, go on, uh, Tariq, let's get yours, mate. I would go for I agree with Trossard in at the false nine. I would actually put Nelson to the left and I would have Vieira on the right. Um we I've seen odd occasion with Vieira. He's looked well off that right hand side, and and I, I keep clinging on with Vieira to that Fulham cameo off the bench, and I still have a little bit. I still have belief in him to really be able to um, hit the ground at Arsenal, and when we can really say, okay, he's he's a part of this team because he, he's not quite at that stage yet with a lot of the fan base, and I know our te- we know Arteta loves him, but. Yeah, I, I still feel like that is the possibility. My only issue with Emil Smith Rowe now is, I I do agree that he's defensively and out of possession. He's just not at the level to play as a a left eight foot under Arteta. But I just feel like he's had so much change physically. I don't think he can do the the left the the wing anymore um, to be able to be as energetic and fluid mm. as he was. He does, he, he has, I think he's grown in, in, in size as well, but he's definitely got gone a bit broader too. So he's filled out a little bit. And, um, since that, since he's had that groin injury, um, that that's kept him out for a while. So yeah, that's my only problem with Emil Smith role, but I understand your point. We've seen it previously. He has shone out on that left-hand side and yeah, he scored what 10 goals in, in, in two seasons ago from there. It's a valid point. It's a really valid point. When you think about when we're at our most effective, it's when Martinelli plays on the left because he holds that width a lot more and he's way more willing than Trossard, for example, to take the ball down the line on the outside of someone. He seems to check back in at a later stage. So he gets closer to the byline and then he checks back inside, whereas Trossard will get to the corner of the box and cut in. And Emil Smith-Rowe would be more similar to Trossard in that sense. So you'd lose a bit of width, directness, pace if you went with Smith-Rowe on the left. So I get that. I get that. It's a fair 
and valid points. A really, really good question. We've got another really, really good question. These are all really good hypothetical <laughs> questions, um, which which tells you that it's a Tuesday and we haven't got a game for a few days, but I love it. Um, let's uh, let's bring uh, the question up. Hold on a second. Uh, where is it? Here we go. I'm just bringing it up from uh, the YouTube channel. It comes from a guy called... Um, his name. Oh, hold on, Mr. Table and Mr. Chair. He asks, if you could drop any Wenger era player into the current Arsenal team, with the exception of Thierry Henry, who would you choose? I know who I'd go with. In his current team, I'd, yeah. I'd like to hear yours first. Go on, and I'll go with different. I know he's not very popular around the Emirates anymore. And for good reason. But I'm going to go with Robin Van Persie. Can you imagine Saka Martinelli playing on either side of a finisher and a striker like peak Robin Van Persie? That's I just think answer. I think he'd be so suited to this team, man. Like there's been a couple of occasions where like balls have dropped over the top of forwards' shoulders and stuff. And I just think if that fell to Van Persie, that's going in the roof of the net. So yeah. That That'd be mine. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. And, oh, okay. The first one that springs to mind is Alexis Sanchez in terms of how we play with a flu fluid front three and his intensity and, and what he could really do. I think he could work well with um, Saka, Erdegaard, Martinelli. That's one that springs to mind. But to kind of give us that defensive stability, I'm going to have to go with Vieira alongside Rice. I think that would be un unbeatable in the midfield. Like we'd be, we already have an outstanding defence this season, and and be, and with his leadership added into there as well, and experience. When we see talk about Prime Vieira, I just feel like we wouldn't concede many goals. It'd be one nil to the Arsenal. That's probably more George Graham um, seeing at times, <laughs> but it would be amazing. But yeah, I your shout is, I think I, I agree with yours, you know, Harry, that, that Van Persie one. I, lo I love Vieira. And if we didn't have Rice and Partey, then it would be a no-brainer. Um, I love Robert Perez, but I just don't think that you get those types of left midfielders anymore that you used to. Um, maybe another shout is Ashley Cole. Because we could do with a left back that is equally good defensively, but also um, someone that can impact the game offensively as well. Again, Another... unpopular, but you know. <laughs> On the unpopular topic, how about Adebayor? Mm. I think Adebayor had a really good couple of seasons, but I don't think I could put him in the same quality bracket as as Robin Van Persie. Uh, Ian in the chat says no Burkamp. I just. I don't know that there is a, a place anymore for that profile of player. Like Dennis Burkamp, he wasn't a nine. He was a number 10, but a 10 that played in a front two. And just the way football's... It's a bit like Pires as well. Like, I just think he's not an out-and-out -out winger. So where would he play in the team now? So that's what I'm trying to think about. Hale Gunner says Adebayo would get in his team easy. Yeah, he would. He absolutely would. Yeah. But we're talking about in comparison to, to Robin Van Persie. That was the uh, the original shot. And again, Gary uh, highlights Freddie Jumberg, mm. um, scored more than 20 goals a season for four years. Massively underrated. Totally agree with that. It's just that, again, you're talking about a right midfielder rather than a right winger. 
and in this current team you, you know you've got to think about balance and relationships and these types of things as well which i think people um maybe overlook you know the nostalgia takes over doesn't it but yeah, yeah that's my shout okay um we are gonna leave it there i think we've uh, come up to five o'clock i asked the, the wife to have dinner ready for five o'clock or just after so if i'm not in the house i'm i'm gonna get it probably um into I'll make her sound like a right monster sometimes on this podcast, and it's really not true. Uh, it's horrible. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, she never listens to it, doesn't even have a clue what it is, probably doesn't even know what it, that it exists, to be honest. But hey, uh, it is what it is. Um, Tariq, massive, massive thank you to you, mate, for joining me. Um, and uh, let's do it again soon, man. Let's not leave it so long next time. Really appreciate that. Thank you so hit that like button if you haven't done so already and yeah up the arsenal absolutely up the arsenal don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already to subscribe to the channel if you're brand new subscribe to Tariq's channel as well Tariq Talks I haven't put it in the description but I don't think I wrote a proper description yet I'll fix it after we finish the video um, and I'll put the link in there so make sure you head over there and subscribe um turn the little bell thing on so you get notifications whenever we post and if you're listening on audio please do leave us a review as well that really really does help we'll be back with another episode of the chronicles of aguna podcast tomorrow until then take care of yourselves all the best have a great day and uh where's the outro button there it is <laughs> see you later guys bye bye he's missed it right on.